0: Hey, it's Anita and this is the Anita Poche Show. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of the Anita Posho, where it is my pleasure to keep you up to date with topics around Bitcoin on a global stage and also the local impact it has on people like you and me. My guest today is Alex Gladstein. Alex is the Chief Strategy Officer at the Human Rights Foundation. The Human Rights Foundation was founded in 2005 and Alex is a member of the team since 2007. We are going to talk about the role that Bitcoin can play in supporting the goals of the Human Rights Foundation, which are defending human rights and promoting liberal democracies all around the world. As always, you can listen to this podcast in your favorite podcast player and with the Sphinx Chat app and the Breeze app, you can now even stream SATs while you're listening to my podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to my podcast feed and also, if you're watching this video on YouTube, hit the subscribe button now to subscribe to my channel. And as always, now a short message from my sponsors and then enjoy. Many people worry about the right storage for their Bitcoin. And yes, holding them isn't always easy. The safest way is offline, physically. That's why Coinfinity developed the Card Wallet, the professional and easy solution. Order it now at cardwallet.com slash Anita and get 20% off. Many people worry about the right storage for their Bitcoin. And yes, holding them isn't always easy. Smartphones get lost, hard drives can crash, and online wallets get hacked frequently. The safest way of storing cryptocurrencies long term is offline in a physical way. That's why Coinfinity developed the card wallet, the professional and easy cold storage solution. The card wallet supports various security features such as high-quality materials and tamper-proof features which prevent the manipulation of the card and make it a safe place for your beloved coins. Get yourself a card wallet now. You will get 20% off if you order at cardwallet.com/anita that's CardWallet.com slash Anita. Do you want to stay up to date with the things that happen in Bitcoin from my point of view? Then subscribe to Anita's Weekly, my newsletter with articles, videos, quotes, short tips on how to use Bitcoin and all that for free. Subscribe to Anita's Weekly at Anita.link weekly. Hello, welcome, Alex Gladstein. Glad to have you on the show.
1: Happy to be here.
0: It's great that you found the time to do this interview with me, because um, I think your mission aligns very much with my mission, why I'm here, why I'm in in the Bitcoin space. Um, Can you tell my audience a little bit about you? I've introduced you a little bit in the intro, but please tell them um, what did you do before you um, were the Chief Strategy Officer at the Human Rights Foundation?
1: Well, that's basically been my, my whole career. I've been working at the Human Rights Foundation, which is a nonprofit in New York City that focuses on helping people who live under authoritarian regimes around the world. I've been there since 2007, so, you know, it's been a long time, Uh, you know, since the pre-Bitcoin days. I've been working on uh, how to to promote freedom in in different difficult places around the world uh, through a lot of interesting programs. We did work at the beginning uh, helping different kinds of foreign media, uh, restricted media, get into Cuba. We worked with the underground library movement there. I, I spent a lot of time in my career working with North Korean refugees and defectors, getting information into their country. Uh, We also spent a lot of time building up the Oslo Freedom Forum, which is a sort of a European um, uh, annual conference that brings together dissidents with people from all industries. So, you know, in my time at the Human Rights Foundation, I I learned a lot about technology and how it could be used to empower, but also to uh, repress. Um, So that kind of led me to Bitcoin, that that career path.
0: Mm-hmm. I understand. Yeah. Um, did you have was this a, a long term like interest of yourself? Like, did you also in when you were young also mm-hmm. already? Um, have you been interested in human rights and these things? Or why did you chose that path?
1: Yeah, actually. I was originally going to be an an engineer. I enrolled in a university for engineering, but the the, uh, the Iraq War was very formative for me. Um, uh, I was in high school when, when we invaded uh, Iraq, and um, in college in 2004, 5, 6, I, I, was, I, I shifted my focus to international relations. Um, I, I wanted to learn more about why we did that. <laughs> um, so that really colored a lot of my work from there, and I, I realized that um, there are a lot of folks around the world who weren't able to do what I was able to do, meaning be critical of my rulers and vote them out, etc. cetera. Uh, and, and it led me to want to work on, on, on trying to expand human freedom as much as I could.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, the Human Rights Foundation was only founded two years before. Mm-hmm. Um, did you hear about them and apply there or how did mm-hmm. this uh, come together?
1: Yeah, I started with a summer internship and then they gave me a job offer after that, so um, I started full time in 2008, and mm-hmm. uh, it's been really fun ever since. Yeah.
0: Since then, never looked back. No, it was never the right decision. Back. Totally. <laughs> um, and when you started in 2007, you already said it that was pre Bitcoin. Did you already dream about uh, a a financial tool that is uncensorable and globally uh, usable?
1: No, I was not down the rabbit hole at all. Uh, Did not pay very much attention to finance or economics uh, until uh, really, you know, probably closer to 2017. Um, there, There were like rumblings that I encountered throughout my work in terms of um, people having a hard time getting money from one place to another. In fact, in 2013, that was the first time I got exposed to Bitcoin was when some Ukrainian activists wrote to us and said, um, we, you know, we, we want to see if we can, this was sort of right before the end of the year, right before 2014, right before uh, the, the Russian invasion. And and they were worried about the civil society movement and they wanted to see if Bitcoin could be a tool for support. Um, and... You know, we started accepting Bitcoin donations the next year in 2014, but I, I didn't really um, start to really dive in and, and understand it for a few years later. So um, that's the that's the one of the big issues or problems is that the human rights industry or community or whatever, however you want to put it, movement uh, doesn't think very cr- critically about uh, money and currency, uh, where it comes from, how it works. Um, and I'm an example of that. Like, again, I, I didn't I was like knee deep in it for a decade. And I mean, it just wasn't it's never it's not anywhere. It's not on conference agendas. It's it's not in the words of human rights activists who speak like it's just not there. Right. Um, there's some peripheral stuff, but it's not core. And now I've realized it's very core. So that's that's, uh, that's a big realization I've had in the last five years.
0: Mm-hmm. And did you uh, see other human rights foundations um, also recognize that now, or is this basically you? Uh, the, is this you and the Human Rights Foundation alone mm. in this space uh, that are using and promoting Bitcoin?
1: I would say it's still pretty sparse. Um, the other really large human rights organizations don't don't um, they don't grok Bitcoin for sure. Like they, they, you can search the word they don't write about it at all. I mean, Amnesty, Human Rights Watch, et cetera. Um, uh, I could list 10 organizations. I just, I don't think that they grasp either side of it. Like, right. So there's the ideological side of it where, you know, it's this liberation tool, but there's also the administrative side of it. Like as a nonprofit, you want to be raising money in Bitcoin. You want to be potentially building up uh bitcoin on your balance sheet you you want to be using it administratively to move money from one country to another like you could not believe in it at all you know ideologically and still find the value very high for administrative stuff but then those are the two areas that nonprofits are going to have to think about as we go into the bitcoin world and they're just not there yet on either side right on either side um however there are a, a growing number of um movements and activists and individuals who've completely grasped. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we are way past the, the, the early stages of that. Um, in fact, just uh, two days ago, an organization that we've worked with called Lucha in, uh, in the Congo announced that they'd be accepting Bitcoin donations. That's a very large and significant, very well known organization. I mean, they have a quarter million followers on Twitter. They are, you know, incredibly brave you know, alliance of youth across this huge country of 80 million people, 90 million people who uh, who uh, have had a problem raising money from abroad um, and whose currency has been completely deprecated, you know, com- just, you know, wiped out. Um, it's lost uh, huge amounts of value over time. It still is uh, massive double digit inflation. So these, these people have issues kind of preserving value for their organizations and, and also receiving money abroad and they have banking issues and all sorts of stuff. So as they start, as they're, it's, it's, they're starting to get it now. It's, it's pretty amazing. So um, very excited to work with them to help them. Uh, hopefully you'll see more news on that front soon. But I think it's just a matter of time before, you know, all these, uh, you know, at-risk human rights movements start to realize how important Bitcoin is going to be for them. I, I think we're in the... In the next two to three years, you're going to see a huge shift there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're doing a lot of work here in in promoting it um, on Twitter and also when there were conferences. Um, I always Mm -hmm. see you uh, talking and writing about that topic. Um, And at the moment, um, we see another like uh, fat wave, you know, with the big energy debate about Bitcoin. And mm. I think uh, it's a pity that uh, mainstream media is reporting, in a way, false. I mean, it's true that it's a lot of electricity, but it's not. it has a good use. Um, and um, what do you say to those uh, media people? Or let's say, um, how can we um, get so much education out to the people that they don't hinder others to use it anymore.
1: We only got one shot with Bitcoin, right? It only happened once. It will only happen once. And, you know, we won't be able to get a do over. (laughs) Can't do it. Can't create a new Bitcoin and then do it over again. Um, And the mainstream media will always have to be called to account for essentially gaslighting their populations over the first decade of its use, where Despite the fact that obviously Bitcoin is hugely useful to many people uh, and it's just this incredibly revolutionary, both kind of social construct, money, technology, whatever you want to call it. It's so clearly changing the world um, when you dig in and look at the data and understand the game theory and the geopolitics here. Um, But all the major broadsheets, television stations, talking heads, you know, at least up until the last few months, especially, and still today, obviously, but like, especially up until the middle of 2020, let's put it that way for, uh, you know, for the first decade of Bitcoin's existence, the media just completely gaslit the public into thinking it was bad for terrorists, for criminals, uh, bad for the environment, uh, bad for you, a bad store of value, uh, a bad, um, it's too volatile, uh, hard to, too hard to use, uh, and the government's going to ban it. Right. So there there, and there's more. Oh, it's reliant on Tether and all these other things. And and the media would just like constantly. And I studied this a little bit. I looked I dove into one particular publication, Wired uh, UK, right, which is a pretty prominent technology platform. And I looked at all of their Bitcoin coverage over the last two years. What they would do is it was interesting. They did 18 pieces, uh, 17 of which were very critical of Bitcoin. And one was a profile of the Vinkelvai, which you know, good for them, but it kind of gives you the impression that Bitcoin's for billionaires, right? It, it, it wasn't, let's put it this way, it wasn't super positive. Um, that's, that's that's a 0% uh, open-minded rate, right? I mean, one thing would be if they had three articles that were like showing how it's having a human impact, and then maybe 10 that weren't. Okay, fine, we could have a debate. But zero is, is there's an agenda there, right? So when you're looking at stuff like that, um, you, you, you just realize that like, and then, and then you start to think about the New York Times or The Economist or uh, Deutsche Welle or whatever. And you start adding it all up and you're like, oh, my God, everybody's been completely fooled. I mean, they, they've been essentially i mean, not lied to, um, well, lied to, but but also just misled in a huge way away from learning about it. OK, and this like trickles down to all aspects of our society, to schooling, education, to uh, politicians, um, uh, to uh you know, practitioners, people, of course, in the human rights space, I mean, I mean, one of the reasons why human rights activists aren't aren't realizing the power of Bitcoin is because they've been gaslit. Right. So it's truly amazing uh, to actually start to comprehend the scale of what's happened. And I'm, I'm just starting to unpack it now. And it's it's tough to it's tough to look at. I mean, you know, they really set us back. What can, what can you say?
0: Mm. Do you think that they really have this agenda in their heads? Or, or is it just because they perpetuate always the same stories?
1: I mean, look, I'm I'm only 35, so I wasn't around <laughs> for, uh, the you know, the beginning of the Internet. Right. I mean, I, I was I was around in as much as I was using my dial up modem and playing games, and I knew it would change the world, even when people in the news were saying it was a fad. Like I knew that was wrong. Right. Um, but if you go back in time, the Pessimist Archive, I don't know if you've seen this, um, it's a great resource on Twitter. They keep um, headlines going back 200 years uh, uh, like, and, they, and they focus around innovations, right? So <laughs> it's unfortunately not uh, unique. Like when electricity was invented, there was just massive hysteria about how it was bad for humans. When the car was invented, massive hysteria about how a horse was just way better. Um, when the plane was invented, a uh, death machine. Uh, radio, it's gonna kill us all, uh, television, um, credit card, all of it, all of it, you know? So every time there's a big new innovation, there is this conservative, inertia-led, um, Luddite, skeptical nature, um, which journalism feeds into because journalists are supposed to be critical, right? are supposed to be critical. Oh, I'm like pointing out the thing. But it's kind of like the, um, the forest for the trees thing. like. The, <laughs> What, what I think has happened is that the Bitcoin thing has come up and the journalists are focusing on, oh, let's, we need to criticize this thing. They don't realize that what they really need to criticize is what's all around them, that that's been completely missing. So, you know, people will like really drill down on like Bitcoin's energy use and yet they won't talk about the fiat system's energy use. In fact, they show zero interest in that. And if you bring that up, oh, that's you're changing the subject. OK, so, OK, they want to bring up Bitcoin's negative externalities and they don't want to talk about its positive, uh, you know, the things it does for the world. OK, well, what about the petrodollar? Are we not going to we just not going to talk about the negative externalities? I just picked up this book, which, by the way, I mean, who knows how good it is, but it was buried. I mean, it's like you have to find it mm-hmm. like so this this was written right after the invasion of Iraq, right, which I mentioned earlier. I mean, one of the obvious reasons that we invaded Iraq is that the the dictator there, of course, was horrible, um, decided to try and sell oil for a different currency than the dollar. I mean, and, you know, obviously one of the reasons we're, we're in the Middle East, you know, waist deep and supporting murderous dictators like MBS in Saudi Arabia is that we're, we're, we're trying to protect the petrodollar. I mean, this is really clear and obvious. Um, and you can even kind of hear it when you read President Biden's remarks about why he didn't go after MBS, it would be too costly. Okay. You know, so we're trying to preserve this system and it is just this, yeah, it's this huge double standard of the media uh, really focusing and drilling in on Bitcoin because it's new and really like beating the crap out of it. I mean, if you really look at the headlines over the last 10 years, it is, it's not just uh, a story. What they do is, and when I was doing the research on the Wired piece, (laughs) they, they would take this story about energy or about criminals, okay? And then they would, they would, first of all, they would share it like many, many times, many, many times, like within two weeks, just like hammering their audience with it. And then a year later they would bring the same story back and not tell you it's like from the archives and they would hammer it again over and over again. So again, there's no like conspiracy. I mean, there's no one person pulling the strings, but it is a big gaslighting operation. Um, It's just sad because it's done by human nature and not done. It's not done by some shadowy actor. There's no like person conspiring to like, you know, try to prevent people from understanding Bitcoin, it's in all of our human nature that we are to be skeptical of these new things, right? So look, the the sooner that folks can learn about what's actually happening, uh, the the better, the more that they they can improve their own lives and also those around them. so that's kind of my, my take on that.
0: Mm. Yeah. And this interview, um, my goal is that this is also a piece of, uh, a documentation why Bitcoin is important and what it can do and yeah. what it already has done. Uh, so I would like you to, to talk a little bit about, uh, like the numbers, you know, like sure. how many people around the world don't have access to money, et cetera, you know, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. So. When I think about Bitcoin as a tool that people use, I think about two different categories. Uh, I think about a savings instrument, and I think about an unstoppable payments network. And if we think about the first one, savings instrument, uh, 1.2 billion people live under double or triple digit inflation. So, you know, they are constantly thinking about their earnings, their wages. A lot of these people come from countries that have a really, really big public sector. So a lot of people just you know they work for the government, um, and the the wages that they earn, you know they have nowhere to like put them. It's like a bucket that has holes in it, right? And they can they can literally see their their hard earned time evaporating, and especially in countries like Sudan or Syria or Lebanon or Venezuela or Zimbabwe, where where the 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 inflation is is hundreds and hundreds or even thousands of percent. But even in Whether it's Turkey or Nigeria, I mean, these are huge countries with hundreds of millions of people, uh, 200 million in Nigeria, 100 million almost in Turkey, Um, you got 15 percent inflation. I mean, that's think about the second order effects of that. I mean, it's crazy. So and that's just the official inflation. Right. So in America, we have whatever it is, two percent. But we know that things get a lot more expensive in areas that the government doesn't count. Well, think about what think about what's happening over there. Right. I mean, it's 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 hard to hard to imagine. So. You know, Bitcoin comes in and is this permissionless savings instrument that's open to everybody. Again, quality of opportunity. You just need internet access. You can start converting your your wages or your whatever you have, wh- whatever amount you have. I mean, you know, if you're if you're cautious and you take this seriously, you know, you can open an on-chain transaction on a weekend if you're receiving a paycheck, um, and you know the fees less than a dollar right now. I mean, so I mean, and then you know, my general thought is as those fees, you know, of course, if you want it immediately, it's $15 or $10 or whatever it ends up being, it varies a lot, actually, depending on the time of day right now. But I do think that those on-chain fees are eventually going to get very expensive, but that's really where Lightning Network comes into play. Um, And it's, you know, the dream that those folks are building is that, you know, you don't want ever, you won't have to settle on-chain. You'll just be born into Lightning and you'll operate from there. And there's ways to do that non-custodially, which is very cool. Um, but the point is that like, you'll be able to with regard whatever amount of money you have. I mean, Bitcoin does not promise any sort of like a redistributionist, uh, <laughs> like, like wealth inequality solution. That is not what's happening here. This is just the, it's the changing of the guard of the type of money It does not mean that like all of a sudden we're not going to have wealthy people or poor people. Like it's going to preserve most likely the existing structure in many ways. The key difference is that the money can't be manipulated. So a lot of people who are very rich, they got there by manipulating the money. So that won't happen. You know, that doesn't happen in a Bitcoin system. So I think there's a lot of interesting things to discuss around the savings aspect of this, the way it's debasement proof. Right. Um, But ultimately, like, you know, hundreds of millions of people around the world, when they save, they do it in like sheet metal cows. You have to understand that they can't even find greenbacks, American dollars often. So they they are having a hard time preserving their time and energy. And Bitcoin gives them a much better option. So that's like number one. Second thing is the unstoppable payments network. Here's where you need to understand that 4.3 billion people live under authoritarian regimes. That's more than half the world. So these are countries where you don't have property rights. You don't have free speech. Uh, Oftentimes, even uh, being a part of a human rights organization is illegal. So if you look at a country like China or Turkey or whatever, I mean, they're arresting people who, who even just disagree with the government. I mean, in Turkey, they've arrested tens of thousands of lawyers, judges, uh, journalists, academics, I mean, people who just disagree with the government. Right. So, you know, in these places, like being able to be sovereign over your bank account and being able to receive payments and send them without the interference of the government is, is a very big leap forward, very, very big. And, you know. I think it's fair to say that that the world has not understood that yet, but it is massive. I mean, massive. I mean, it just takes that power away from the regime and and it's look, it's just one tool, but it's a pretty important tool. I mean, if all of a sudden they have, they can't control the banking system anymore. I mean, that really puts a check on, on, on what they can do. Right. So um, whether it's as a saving instrument or, or as a, as an unstoppable payment rail, and and the latter, of course, has important implications for like remittances, for example, which are extortionate or people fleeing, uh, violence, uh, or repression. I mean, I've interviewed people who've left Syria and Venezuela, who've been able to rely on Bitcoin either to like bring money out or send money back. So that unstoppable payment rail use case is, is huge. So you've got, you've got those two, there's going to be more and there are more, but those are the two big ones that, that I like to think about when I unpack, like Why? Why is Bitcoin valuable, right? Like, why is it not a waste of energy, right?
0: Mm. Yeah, and there's also the idea of that Bitcoin basically is a human right in that sense that it's like uh, freedom of transaction, like freedom of speech is a human right. Yeah. Because basically, you're exchanging value in form of of mathematical language, you might say.
1: Yeah, in America, at least, it's sort of like First and Fourth Amendment, right? It's like free speech and, and you know, you know, private property, uh, kind of a, a mix, right? Um, but yeah, the freedom to transact, uh, I don't know if it's a, I'm not a huge fan of like the, is this a human right or is that a human right thing? Because then it leads, to, leads us down the road to like, well, is access to the internet a human right? Is having Bitcoin a human right? And I, I just think those conversations aren't very productive. Um. It's better to, for me to, you know, I think we should focus on the, you know, these negative rights, like what, you know, what, what, what should not, what should not the government be able to do? Well, censor, right? <laughs> um, great. So they shouldn't be able to censor our speech or, or our transactions. This is what I believe at least. Um, so I know some people disagree, but.
0: Before we come to the second part of our interview, a short message from local Bitcoins. It's the fact of the week. When you own some Bitcoin, there's nothing physical you can touch. By owning Bitcoin, you have the right to access the specific Bitcoin address records in the Bitcoin network and send Bitcoin to another address. This gives you full control of your money. That's not the case when you hold money in a bank account, since the bank only owes you the balance you see in your account and can loan your money to someone else. Bitcoin is a technology that has the potential to give financial access to many people around the world. But with freedom comes also responsibility. This means that you have to store the private key to your Bitcoin address securely since the Bitcoin protocol has no customer support that can retrieve your password. Thanks to local Bitcoins for the fact of the week. I heard in many countries that women still are not allowed to, to get an inheritance. And so they also don't have securities to get a loan. Um, how have you, do you have any examples or how do you think that Bitcoin can empower women all over the world?
1: Yeah, well, I'll give you two examples and again, we're very early. So I would caution people. I think people need to understand that first of all, a lot of people who've benefited from Bitcoin are not going to tell the world about it. Like it's a private thing. The finances, like the majority of the stories and, and the majority of the impact Bitcoin has had is, is not something that's going to be in the news. Like it's not, these aren't going to be people who are ready to go to the New York times. <laughs> they don't want to go to the New York times, like for a good reason. But, um, I think it would be foolish to, to overlook, what has happened and what continues to happen. I'll give you two examples. Um, one is uh, incredible. Actually, I, I got to know a Afghan uh, entrepreneur. Oh, I think back in twenty, maybe fourteen or 15. Um, her name's uh, Roya Mahbub. Um, and she's she was, I think, Afghanistan's first female technology CEO. And, um, you know, I got to know her because of her work bringing internet and uh, internet access to young women in Afghanistan. And she later became re- well known. Uh, she she's a Time 100 and, you know, Cheryl Sandberg wrote her profile and she got very well known when she was capped. She was basically the patron of the Afghan girls robotics team, which was which was quite popular for It continues to be an amazing group of young women. Um, what I but I didn't really know about Roya in, I'd known her for years before, like I was just with her at a conference once and I was talking to her and I mentioned Bitcoin and she was like very deep, like, and I learned that, about this incredible story about how in 2013, in the run-up to the, for, to the to the bubble, she converted her her company entirely to Bitcoin and she was paying all of her employees in Bitcoin. I, I guess in Afghanistan at the time, a lot of the women that worked for her doing software stuff, they had phones, they just didn't have a bank account. and she didn't want to give them cash because their male family members would take it, etc. So this gave them that like sense of financial freedom. It's pretty cool. Now it's interesting because then there was the huge crash and she had to make everybody whole and it was a big setback mentally, but a lot of the women kept, they were like, I'm keeping it. You know, I don't care that it fell in value against the dollar. And a lot of them still have it <laughs> and a lot of them used it. Uh, and in fact she told me this one story of a woman who, used the money that she earned from Roya in Bitcoin. And then she had to leave Afghanistan because of political violence and threats. So she was a refugee and she went through this harrowing journey through Iran and Turkey by foot, by train, by boat, made it to Germany, actually, where she lives now. And she was able to use the the Bitcoin uh, and she cashed out. I think this was in 2017 to help start a new life. And I thought that was pretty amazing. So I think that that's really big. I mean, you know, what you learn from stories like that is that Obviously, Bitcoin cannot discriminate. Like it's it's for everybody. It literally does not know what your gender is, and that's like one of its biggest uh, biggest perks. The other one, I'm, the other example I'll mention is just the the Feminist Coalition in Nigeria. Obviously, Femco um, was having issues uh, with their fintech apps and bank accounts in October when they were some of the leaders and organizers of these like uh, protests, anti SARS protests in Nigeria against. Uh, police brutality and, you know, lack of accountability, corruption. And they, they started to raise money in Bitcoin, which was cool. And they raised about almost eight Bitcoin actually. So, um, and they used it to spend on protest equipment and other things like that. There's a whole accounting of it online. They were very transparent and very inspiring. So, um, I would say those are two pretty strong, um, examples, but there's many more that haven't been told, you know?
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah. Funny that you say that because I made an interview with the Feminist Coalition and also um, with Farish DeFaro from Afghanistan. Yeah. She's maybe you know her. She's also uh-huh. she she's organized also a, a school for women in Afghanistan to learn how to code and stuff.
1: Yeah, I think she was involved with Roya early on and they've ended up splitting and doing two different things. But um, but yes, uh, two, two, two similar examples. Absolutely. But there's, I mean, there's more, I mean, I mean, think about it this way, like, one of the biggest hallmarks of the Belarusian democracy movement is that it's like women led, right? So you have the the leader is a woman, Svetlana, um, and the leader of her campaign is a woman and the leader of the party is a woman and the... Oftentimes, when you watch the protests, they're led by women. So it's really, really cool. And, um, you know, a lot of the support that's been pouring into Belarus. I mean, I think it's over 200 Bitcoin now that have been sent into Belarus since last summer. Um, It was over 175 by the end of February. So, I mean, we'll see where we are now. My guess is around 200 Bitcoin have been sent peer to peer to people inside Belarus. And, you know, more than half, I believe roughly or about half more than half or or women obviously who are are, you know receiving the bitcoin spending it so i think that's very worth noting as well is is bitcoin's role in that movement
0: Hmm. and as we said before yeah i also think that many people really don't want to talk about it because they also fear uh repression uh from their authorities yeah i mean i've been to zimbabwe and i interviewed uh, a guy who is using bitcoin to be paid from abroad And we were in a restaurant uh, and I was interviewing him and after 20 minutes um, one of the ladies came and told us we are not allowed to do an interview here. I mean, she didn't know what we are talking about, but uh, alone the fact that you you can't sit in a restaurant and do an interview, uh, I mean, for me, this is completely new, of course, yeah? So, so no wonder that people don't talk about uh, if and how they use Bitcoin
1: yeah yeah Um, again just to caution people just because there's not that many like stories that you've read doesn't mean it's not happening there's a good reason for people wanting to keep uh, innovations in personal finance uh you know Mm. close to the vest especially in some of these these environments right
0: Uh, just yesterday, I saw or I researched again um, how the situation with Bitcoin in Zimbabwe is. And um, last year, when I went there, I didn't find any like online sites or, or uh, current events about it. And yesterday, I realized that there are now podcasts with uh, Zimbabweans who speak about cryptocurrencies and blockchain, um, which I find interesting because it seems that uh, it, 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 it's mm-hmm. growing. It's becoming more, what yeah, do you, I, what do you think? Yeah.
1: yeah, no, on that, on that topic specifically, I will say my general impression is that, um, and we've worked with Zimbabwean human rights activists for more than 10 years and in speaking to them, uh, and we, we, my organization did a human rights event in Joburg, uh, three years ago. Um, so I've been there several times, uh, speaking, talking about Bitcoin, um, but also we did a human rights event in Joburg and we had quite a few Zimbabwean activists there, um, who came over <laughs> for the, for the event. Um, and I will say that it's similar to the rest of the human rights community. They didn't really get it yet. And, and they still are like grappling with it. Um, and also recently I interviewed a, a, a someone who's a a zimbabwean journalist who covers the money markets and he covers effects and stuff like that and like even he was like he didn't he he wasn't he didn't get it yet he was like nah it's the ponzi scheme you know so mm-hmm. i think just the lack of education you know it's just going to take time i mean as you're mentioning the unfortunate thing is in a lot of societies including my own <laughs> like in silicon valley um people get scammed by these like other like altcoin projects or whatever um and it happens in silicon valley it happens in zimbabwe it happens in egypt it happens in china everywhere so um but it's especially bad uh when it's like exploitative right um and that's really like so south africa obviously dominates the um media and news even in zimbabwe right like big like famous people there uh, trends things like that everything's sort of connected right um And and unfortunately, South Africa had a lot of like, I mean, it was a lot of the whole blockchain, not Bitcoin, like a lot of these ICOs. It was a bad scene. I mean, from what I saw, at least a very bad scene. I mean, nobody was talking about Bitcoin. Nobody was talking about Bitcoin. And that was like in 2018. So, I mean, it was rough. I mean, there were a lot of scams. So I can only imagine how bad it was how many people got burned in Zimbabwe. So, you know, it's kind of like really an unfortunate. But the fact is that in a lot of societies, people haven't put two and two together yet, because they were, they've been burned by like some sort of MLM or some sort of Ponzi or ICO. Um, and at the same time, um, like, the, you know, the, the human rights kind of community just hasn't really thought about it yet. So you know, Mm -hmm. it just takes time. I mean, you can't force it. I mean, we can be helpful. We can, you know, get, get educational materials. We can do talks. Like I'm pretty open. If people, you know, people get in touch with me, I help them, but like, you can't, you can't force Bitcoin. You know what I mean? It, it, and and you Mm -hmm. shouldn't like it, it just does its thing. Like I want to help people, but they have to want it, you know? Um, Otherwise, it doesn't work. I mean, Bitcoin is a voluntary phenomenon. is, is, is really the end of the, you know, at the end of the day, it's what it is. You, you can't, you can't live with regret about that. You could be like, oh, I wish I could have like, you know, told more people in X country in 2017 or 16 or 15 or whatever. You could live with regret your whole life thinking that way. But the fact is it didn't happen. They weren't ready for it. They didn't want it. You know, it's, it's voluntary, you know?
0: Yeah, which is a good thing. Uh, But in that case, yeah, you're right. I also had this impression that they don't really get it. And nobody was talking about Bitcoin. It is always just blockchain and cryptocurrencies.
1: Yeah. And that's a big, I mean, that's the big thing is that, is that you continue to get that at the obvious red flag when you speak to somebody is they talk about crypto. And that means they don't know what they're talking about. And it's like, okay, well, then you're like, well, what crypto, what do you, what do you mean? And like, you know, it's, it's sad and depressing, but it is what it is. And, and, you know, we're just not there yet, but you, you're right. Like when I speak to a lot of people, um, in context like that, they, 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 they just, they haven't gotten it. And, and it, it's partly because of the media thing, like the gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's partly because of that. It's partly cause it's just new and very different and hard to understand. So again, we just chip away over time. Um. But it's uh, yeah, I just did an interview with a, a, a South Af- two South African podcasters um, in the last month, um, and they were both saying how just sort of prevalent the scams were there. So it's a mountain to climb. I don't know what to say.
0: Hmm, hmm. What do you think? Which regions uh, in the world are, um, uh, how should I say, on the one hand, um, a focus because of bad human rights, a bad human rights situation. And on the other hand, are very uh, far in their Bitcoin adoption. I think Nigeria (laughs) would be a place.
1: Yeah, look, it's so it's so hard to get data on this, but clearly there's like millions of people using Bitcoin in Nigeria, Turkey and Argentina uh, and China. I mean, those are four good examples of people who use Bitcoin Either to um, get around capital controls, or have like a sovereign savings account that they they control. Not, not that's you know confiscation resistant, devaluation resistant. So I think those are, those are countries worth mentioning. But there's huge Bitcoin use in many many large countries. I mean Pakistan, India. I mean if you look at the top, someone just did yesterday like a, a listing of the top like um, crypto related websites in the world, starting with Binance all the way down. Uh, so X, like the big Indian exchange is like top 10. There's just so many Indian Bitcoiners. Um, there was an interview the other day, and it was crazy. I mean, the, the big exchanges are estimating that there's like 6 million hodlers, like that there's way more people, but a lot of them trade and stuff. But like, there's just 6 million people hodling, which is pretty nuts. If you think about the role gold historically plays in a society like India, I mean, Bitcoin's gonna have a massive impact the philippines is another 100 million person country with a lot of big i mean there's like brick and mortar stores all over the philippines where you can go and and receive your remittance from your family abroad or or even yourself abroad you know from a different account via bitcoin into local cash like there's i mean all over latin america i mean it's happening everywhere and i think it's like again this is like it's an everywhere phenomenon like in america you know we have a lot of human rights issues too and a lot of uh, issues with different populations and, you know, being cut off from financial services. And there's a lot of people just doing work here in my country, uh, helping people onto Bitcoin. I mean, if you look at the work of like Isaiah Jackson, for example, et cetera, there's a lot of work to be done everywhere. Uh, so I think it's kind of an everywhere phenomenon.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many human rights issues all around the world. Um, what are the small successes for you that keep you going?
1: Yeah, well, I I mean, just the very nature of it uh, is obvious to me and is very inspiring. Uh, And I have a piece coming out this week on this, but I really think that Bitcoin is this like Trojan horse for freedom, like um, in that, you know, it looks very appealing to a wide variety of people. I mean, eventually to everybody. It's glittering. It's like this digital gold thing and it, it attracts so many different kinds of actors, like corp- corporations, or um, you know, even I think sovereign wealth funds, we're starting to get into that area, uh, professional investors, people who like literally don't care about human rights or are anti-human rights. <laughs> like, but they're gonna be forced to buy this thing and like start strengthening its, its global network effects. And then you have like more developers and more miners and better UX and better network security and, They don't care about the cypherpunk aspect. They don't care about what it does for people, but they don't need to care. So like Bitcoin doesn't run on altruism or some like grand humanitarian ambition, who cares? It runs on self-preservation, greed, self-interest, what have you profit seeking, whatever you want to call it. Like, but like, as people get involved because of this glittering looking Trojan horse that, that, that they want and, and it'll deliver the riches, but like what they don't realize is what's inside. Right. So that's what animates me is that I can see that there's this game theory. That's, that's unstoppable. <laughs> that's really, really refreshing because in the human rights community, it's very difficult to raise money and people just, we're just, we're low on altruism. I mean, look at, look at the freaking sponsors for the genocide Olympics in 2022 in Beijing. You can go on that website. It's like every household corporation from Airbnb on down. They don't care. I mean, you can look at the membership of the UN human rights council or the FATF, it's all these dictators, nobody cares. There's, all kinds of people from Ray Dalio all on down who went to the Davos in the desert in Saudi, they don't care about human rights. So the world is like, we're short on actual consideration. And even the people who say these pretty words, I mean, it's often just discarded, but with Bitcoin, I don't, we don't have to care about their intentions. They don't matter. Like because they're going to get involved, because they're going to have to get involved. They're going to strengthen a freedom tool, which is very, very exciting. So that's what I'm, thinking most about lately, but yeah, I mean, any of the, I've done dozens of interviews with people around the world. I mean, there's a guy who I've interviewed in Sudan. I mean, Sudan had a crushing dictatorship for decades and had crushing numerous, complete kind of currency devaluations. Um, and this person had no hope at all at the end of 2009, 10, just none. And then over the last decade, this person, he he ended up leaving Sudan to work in Ireland and, and to, to send money back to his family. Right. Um, he still goes and stuff, but he's, he's, he's really inspired now because of two things. One, of course, the political transformation, they got somehow got rid of Bashir and that's not perfect, but the country's moving in a better direction there. And then at the same time he discovered Bitcoin and he's been using it and like they've, they've been able to avoid, uh, the debasements that continue to happen. Um, so that was a very inspiring story. Um, and there's just many people like him, you know, they're just, they're just not not you know not telling their story all the time but um i'm i was very very fired up by that one in particular
0: Mm. yeah bitcoin is a reason for a little bit of optimism totally um what uh would you like to say to our listeners like a, a message um maybe What do the maybe about what we said before, like what the mainstream media does overlook? (laughs) What what do people need to know about Bitcoin?
1: Yeah, well, I think something that's worth considering is a lot of people are afraid of this sort of whether it's like Big Brother or surveillance capitalism, um, your listeners, whether you're in Germany or France or United States or um, et cetera. we may not be worried about uh, massive currency devaluation or bank account confiscation. We may live in a bubble, a small bubble, by the way. Only like 13% of humans live in a country that has a liberal democracy and a reserve currency. But um, but we are also, whether you want to d- debate it or not, you know, very influential. Uh, we, we steer a lot of what happens to the rest of the world, right? Um, And, and I think there is this growing concern about privacy and I think people need to understand just how important Bitcoin is going to be for that. I mean, you know, we have this opportunity to move into an economy and into an artist audience sort of creator system, um, and into a writer or journalist and audience system where you can stream payments, you can, you know, you can receive funds from your audience in a way that's censorship resistant and, and, and basically anonymous, uh, if you think about the way that lightning works, um, it's pretty exciting. So I'm very fired up by this idea of like, where, where, where are we going to go with lightning? How's it going to work? Like, it's cool to see all these exchanges adopting it. Um, obviously they're adopting it, uh, again, with the Trojan horse, they're adopting it for, to save on fees. They don't care about privacy, but there's a lot of this game theory here where like, Bitcoin forces people who don't care about freedom and privacy to improve it. It like forces their hand, right? It tricks them. Um and we're seeing we're continuing to see that because lightning I don't think it would have I don't think it gets to where it's going to go without the base layer fee getting really high. Like at the end of the day we can do as much as we can promoting it, talking about it, building on it, making cool apps and wallets, but the the demand's just not going to be there until people are forced to. People are lazy, right? They just want to do on chain, but they're going to be forced to use it. <laughs> and like, and I'm really grateful that it's there. Um, and, and then it comes with all these other benefits, uh, obviously, like global final settlement, instant payments. It's more private. Uh, it, it's not on the chain. So chain analysis companies can't spy on your behavior. It's it's a lot of cool stuff involved there. So um, I would say take a look at that. And, you know, if you're concerned about creeping surveillance uh, into your life. Um, maybe Bitcoin is, is worth looking looking into. It, I think it's quite important, regardless of where you live. But um, yeah, that's my final, final thought, I guess.
0: Yeah, thank you very much for that thought. And before we go, I want to recommend this little book here, uh, the little Bitcoin book, you are co-author. Yes. Um, it's a very interesting and good introduction to Bitcoin.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. And if you go to the we have it free as a PDF in many languages, Mandarin, Arabic, uh, Uyghur, which I'm very, very excited about, um, Farsi, uh, it's up there in Korean, um, uh, Punjab, uh, Hindi, etc. So um, there's there's we're, we're continuing to pump out the translations, but uh, we're, we're excited to get that book into the hands of as many people huh? as, as as possible. That's so fantastic.
0: You. I will put it I will put it in the show notes. So thank you very much, Alex, for thank you for your time and have a good day.
1: Thank you, Nina. Take care.
0: Thanks so much for joining the Anita Posh Show today to learn more about Bitcoin. You can find the show notes for this conversation on anita.link slash show. If you want to get the best stories in Bitcoin from my point of view, in your mailbox go to anita.link slash weekly and subscribe. And if you have a question or just want to send me some feedback, drop me a line at hello at anitaposch.com. See you next week when it's time for the Anita Posch Show. Music, start with yes, delicate beats. Content, idea and production, Anita Posch.